Good evening. It is good to be together to worship God. What beautiful singing. And now an opportunity to study from God's holy word. We want to encourage everyone to remember that this coming Wednesday evening, our elders will lead us in uh, a time of study and of worship together. And all of the adult classes, all the classes will meet here in the auditorium at at the regular time on on Wednesday evening at uh, 7 o'clock. And so we want to uh, remind you of that and look forward to that time together. When we think about the opportunity to Uh, give a lot more this month than maybe in a lot of other months during the year. Uh, We think about the typhoon that hit the Philippines earlier this month, and our elders uh, received knowledge of a particular missionary uh, that we've had contact with in the past, and and he let us know of some great need that he had there. You can see the devastation uh, that took place, and it also hit an area that was very poor. And on this next slide, we see a picture of a little girl. And when this missionary went into uh, the village there to start offering the relief that you see on the right side of the screen there, he saw this little girl that had stepped on a nail a few days earlier among all of the debris that was everywhere. And uh, her foot had already uh, began to infect and to swell where that nail had been. And her family just, they didn't have any money to do anything about it. And so he asked the parents if they would go with him, and he took the little girl to the doctor, and and she received the antibiotics that she needed, and uh, and just a day or two later, her her foot was really looking a lot better. And he just mentioned that in tropical weather like that, that it doesn't take long for an infection to turn into a very high fever, and then literally become a matter of life and death. And he said just that small doctor's visit that we went very likely saved that girl's life. And it's just amazing to think that all around the world, there are Christians that are out doing what they can do. Nobody can do everything, but we all can do something. And so the elders have spent a few thousand dollars out of the budget uh, to help this particular man and the work that he's doing. And I just want to encourage you uh, to be praying for the, the work there in the Philippines. I also want to encourage you to just be looking right now in your life of what you can do to make the difference in someone's life and give God the glory. Also, as we think about El Salvador, Phil Wagner has uh, just finished up this week the first summer camp in El Salvador that we've ever done. Now, you may be thinking this is an odd time of the year to do a summer camp, but this is when the youth, like when we think of our children having the summers off out of school, This is the time of year that is what we think of the summers off out of school. And so it was a perfect time of the year for them to host a summer camp. And since they had never done a youth camp before, he was hoping to have at least 15 or 20. It turned out 100 signed up and it turned out that 109 attended. And so... uh, there were, there were three young men that were baptized during the week, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 18-year-old. And then also uh, from uh, an area that we'd worked with in the past, Tanaka, uh, there was a 19-year-old girl that one night she was just smiling from ear to ear. And, and Phil visited with her for a few minutes and she said, I didn't want to come. And she said, this has been so good for me spiritually. I'm so glad that I did come and I'm glad that I was encouraged to come. And, and he asked her about where you're from. And, and she said to knock and he says, we've done campaign work there. And she said, oh, yes. She said, I remember you guys coming into my school and telling us Bible stories while we were in school. She said, I remember Clint. And she said, I remember you. 
And she said, I don't remember the guy's name, but I remember someone gave me candy. And I think, and this would have been when this girl was like 15, 16 years old. And she said, somebody gave me some little pieces of candy that was so delicious. She said, I'll never forget that. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what impacts individuals that sometimes are simple and small acts of kindness? Many of you here have gone on mission trips to various places. Let's never underestimate how powerful it is when we simply obey God's command to go. We don't always see directly the seeds, but we know that we are obeying what God has told us to do. God has told us to go. I'll mention one more thing and we'll get into our lesson. Those that have been involved in the Latin America work the last few years, Perillapon is a little coastal on this, I say coastal in this little lake type city, village, little town. It's not much of a city, a little bitty town. And um, that little congregation sent six people to the summer camp. And, uh, and Phil just talked about how good it was for them and how, how good uh, he believes that it will be for that little congregation there. Uh, Phil's working hard. I know you know that. Be praying for him. He's doing a lot of work right now uh, there in Latin America, and we're thankful for him and for the work that he is doing. We talked last Sunday about the fact that we all have choices to make. We have choices to decide if we're going to line up with culture, if we're going to line up with whatever personal preference would be, or we're going to line up with the Lord. And we're talking about a topic that's not easy to talk about because there's some things about this topic that I believe very much are cut and dry. And then there's other areas of this topic as we go out from the fringes of, of what you might say are the cut and dry that aren't so easily to say that they're cut and dry. This is a very difficult topic in the sense that it grows, it goes cross-culture. It goes across the grain of culture today. We're talking about things that just the lesson as we studied it last Sunday morning and Sunday night to many people around our communities would have been highly offended. Not because we've drawn some other conclusion from the Word of God. They would be offended because of what the Word of God says. And brethren, I don't know what to do with that except to do what the Lord has taught us to do. Speak the truth in love. Can we please everybody when we speak the truth in love? No. But we can make a decision. We have a choice to make. Are we going to choose to allow culture to be our compass? Are we going to choose to allow God to be our compass? I want to read to you a couple of paragraphs, and I wish I would have made note of whether or not I wrote this or if I got this as I was preparing last week. I'm thinking some of this may have come from Everett Ferguson, and I'm thinking that some of it may have come from me. It really doesn't matter uh, where it comes from. I just don't want to take credit for something that's not mine. And as we begin this, you know, we've been talking about can women lead in Christ's church. When the assembly comes together, we've seen clearly from Scripture last week that no women are not to lead when the assembly comes together. Is there a place for women in the Lord's church? Absolutely. Are they strong and are they spiritual? Absolutely. Could we make it spiritually without them? No. God's plan is that we need strong women and we need strong men. Let me mention just a few things here. The church, if it is to be led by Christ, think about headship and leadership, ultimately the church has to be led by Christ. If it is to be led by Christ, she must always respect the dignity and equality of the value of women who is made after the image of God. 
while simultaneously respecting the divinely appointed leadership of men in church offices, worship, and even in the headship of the home. To see a church oppress the dignity and worth of woman is wrong. But provoking a culturally driven response which might ignore the divine appointment of male leadership is an unhealthy response to a serious problem. Addressing one problem in an ungodly response only creates a secondary problem that could be just as bad. Let's make sure that as we address this, we address this in truth, meaning we have to go back to scriptures. Let's address it in love. Let's address it in humility. And let's address it through fervent prayer that God's will be done. So where do we begin? Last week we looked at the fact in Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17, we ought to choose, if we're going to choose, we ought to choose faith that comes from God. Romans 10 17, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So what is it that we should all do in worship? We should all sing, we should all pray, we should all give, we should all take of the Lord's Supper, we should all study. Now, what do we do when it comes to the leadership of these areas in worship? We see that God gives two passages that are restrictive toward the role of women leading in these areas. Last Sunday morning, we studied 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Of course, I mentioned that where if you were not here last Sunday morning or last Sunday night, you might, if you have interest in studying this, go back and listen to the archives of that or request a copy of it. But we addressed in Sunday morning, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter and 1 Timothy, the second chapter. You see what we did? there. Last Sunday morning we said this, we could choose to listen to culture or we could choose to listen to what a lot of people are saying. We could read the blogs, we could read the articles, we could listen to the water cooler talk or we could go back and say, God, what have you said on this topic? And we could allow God to speak and allow us to listen. And that's what we tried to do last Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And so we looked at those two topics in an effort to allow God to speak on the matter. But why does it matter? Really? Let's just say that maybe God doesn't want a woman leading in worship. But why does it really matter if we let her lead anyway? If it doesn't offend anyone in the audience, why does it matter? I want us to read a passage that maybe you've heard so many times that it almost has become like a cliche in prayers. I want you to read it afresh with me tonight. Jesus gives us in John the fourth chapter some powerful principles about worship. In John the fourth chapter, in 23 and 24, we don't have the details of worship here, but we have a few principles. We could count three or four different principles, and we don't have time to develop all those tonight, but I want you to see this. In John the fourth chapter, in 23 and 24, this is where Jesus was speaking to the woman of Samaria and at the well, and he says in the 23rd verse, John 4, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, and I have to pause and ask myself, do, am I really concerned about whether or not I'm a worshiper? Am I concerned about whether or not I'm a true worshiper? True as in the sense of the opposite of counterfeit, hypocrite. Am I the real deal? Or am I just faking this? In other words, does it really matter to me if I come and pour out my adoration to God in truth, a genuine worshiper of God? Or is it fine for me that if you just think that I'm a true worshiper, I'm cool with that. I'm just here as a check mark. I'm just here to impress you. Or am I really here to pour out my worship to God? And so he says, when the true worshipers 
we'll do what? If we're true worshipers, we'll worship the Father. He's the object of worship. We're not here to entertain ourselves. We're not here to worship each other. We're not here to worship ourselves. We are here to pour out our love and adoration to God, the one who's on the throne, high and lifted up, Isaiah the sixth chapter. And so notice we worship the Father how? In spirit, and notice that's a lowercase s, because it's talking about our spirit. Our worship always begins in the heart. All five acts or avenues of worship begin in the heart. We won't take the time to develop that right now, but if you don't know that, go back and study that this week. Look at all five acts of worship. They begin in the heart, and they pour out through song, through prayer, through a study of God's Word, through a partaking of the Lord's Supper through giving and contribution. All of those are things that are seen outwardly that begin inwardly on the heart. Now, that's the spirit. We worship in spirit. The entire being is what that's getting at. We worship in spirit in what? And in truth. There must be a standard of truth. God, how do you want our worship to be? And anything that God speaks about that, we have the opportunity to say, okay, God, I'll obey your truth. Or we have the opportunity to say, God, that's not a big deal to me. I'd rather set the standard of how to worship instead of allowing you to set the standard of how to worship. Now, even though what I've just said would cause some in this audience to cringe, some in this audience would say, I can't imagine not being concerned with how God would want to worship. But you have to realize, if you're in this audience and you've never studied carefully what God expects in worship, and all you've done is listen to a, a religious culture here in America, the religious culture here in America pictures God much more like a beggar that says, you want to worship me? I've got my hand out. I'm just this measly beggar. You give me anything you want because I am so desperate, I will accept anything. And if you want to worship me with, with musical instruments, you just throw them in there because I'm desperate. And if you want to worship me through drama, you throw it in there. I'm desperate. If you want to worship me with women leading, you throw it in there. I'm, I will accept anything. I am just a measly beggar hoping that someone will pay attention to me. Is that the way you picture God? Because when you stop and think about it today, people are so quick to act as if God accepts everything. Go back and read in Scripture. God clearly defines what He wants in Scripture. And it's man that steps out and says, Oh, but I would like an instrument in it. Okay? You said it exactly right. You want the instrument because God never said he wanted it. You can't say you're adding the instrument because God wanted it. God didn't ask for it. You can't have a woman leading because God wanted it. God said, don't do it. Clearly, twice. And we can go on and on. Are we going to worship in truth? Where do we find truth? John 17 and 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So now we have to choose. Are we really going to obey what God asks? Are we going to treat him like a king high and lifted up with the idea of submission and humility that comes to him as a very humble servant willing to pour out adoration to him, looking up to the king high and lifted up? Lord, your will be done. 
How, how do you want me to pour my love out to you? You say it and I will do it. You tell me how not to do it and I won't do it. Your will be done. Or is it? He accepts just everything. In the Old Testament, which by the way was written for our learning, Nadab and Abihu, they wanted to make a sacrifice to God. They were commanded to make a sacrifice to God. Remember, they decided to get a strange fire. That just means they got fire from a different source than what God commanded. Could it be that big a deal? They simply got the fire from a different source than what God commanded, and God struck those priests dead because he says that they received the fire from where he did not command them. Hear that? You simply did what I did not command you to do. You think how quickly people today jump out and do things all the time in worship that God never commanded. And they're comfortable with it. Friends, each of us is going to have to stand before God on the day of judgment. I'm talking to you as an individual tonight. Now collectively, our elders have to decide how worship in this congregation is going to be based upon their understanding of the Word of God. But I'm talking to you as an individual right now. How much does it concern you that you truly worship in spirit and in truth? It ought to bring terror to us to think that we would knowingly go against something that God said don't do in worship. Or to omit something that God says do in worship simply because he is so great and we are so feeble. His righteousness prevails any wisdom that we could have. I'd like for you to look with me in Matthew the 15th chapter in verse 7, 8, and 9. Matthew the 15th chapter in verse 7, 8, and 9. Here's a passage that as you open your Bible, you'll see it's in red letters. Jesus said this and he says, hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But what about their heart? Their heart is far from me. Now let's pause there for just a moment. What, what is, of course, it's a prophecy from Isaiah, but Jesus is saying, I see the same thing in my day and time. We see the same thing in our day and time. What is it that Jesus is seeing here? He says, you know how when you're around religious people, and he says, their mouth, they're all the time talking about how close they're drawn to God. And their lips, their lips are saying how much they honor God. And Jesus says, and keep in mind, Jesus could do this. You and I, it's not so safe to do this. But Jesus knows their heart. Jesus knows their heart. And Jesus says, oh, I see your mouth. You're talking about how you're drawing near to God. I see your lips about how I'm honoring God. And he says, but the problem is I know your heart. And your heart is a long way from me. Why was there such a gap in what they were saying and where their heart was? Now I suppose there could be many things, but I want you to notice here why he says there was such a tremendous gap. Look in verse 9. And in vain, empty or worthless, they worship me. Let's pause there for just a moment. Imagine if we walked out of the assembly after, after this assembly is over. Imagine we walked out and we just happened to run into Jesus right underneath the carport there. And what if Jesus looked at you and said, there was really no reason for you to be in there tonight. I didn't accept anything about your worship. It was vain worship. Vain. It was empty. It was worthless. 
I would venture to say that there are religious people in our community that they don't even know that there's such a thing as vain worship. Because our culture today says the Lord accepts anything. You do anything you want to do in worship and the Lord just swallows it up. He's a beggar. No. When we read the scriptures, he makes it clear. He says, I'll accept true worship. But if it's not true worship, I'll have nothing to do with it. You might as well not even have done it. It is empty. It is worthless in my sight. Okay, so how did we get there? My mouth's drawing near to you. My lips are honoring you. The Lord says, no, you're far away from me. Matter of fact, let me just tell you this. Your worship, absolutely worthless. How did we get there? Well, here's how he summarizes this. Look at the rest of verse 9. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You're teaching as doctrine. In other words, you're saying, this is a message from God. And the reality is it's not a message from God at all. It's the ways of mankind. And you crouched them in to a lesson that made it sound like it was a message from God. You see, your lips are making it sound like you're moving people closer to God. And the reality is you're trying to get them to follow your ways as men and, and your opinions and your doctrines. And so you're teaching them as if it's doctrines of God. But the truth is, it's commandments of men. Where does that leave you? It leaves you with vain worship. It leaves you with your heart far away. And, and how else can this be done? Now, we're not going to take the time to heavily develop this. But if you'll go back and start reading the 15th chapter in verse 3 and following, he told him another way that they've been doing it. It wasn't just in worship. But another way that they've been doing this was that, you remember they had the act of saying it is Corbin? You have, imagine you're a grown adult and you have an aging parent or parents and you don't want to take care of them. And so as a Jew, what they had grown a tradition that would say, give a little money at the temple, give a little offering at the temple. And then whenever someone say, you know, your parents are down there and they're great need. You say, oh, it's Corbin. It's Corbin. In other words, I've given my gift at the altar. I don't have to take care of my parents anymore. And so Jesus calls them out and he says, what about the commandment, honor your mother and father? He says, your traditions are working against the very doctrine of the Lord. And it is in that setting where he says, see how this works? Your traditions are counseling out the teachings from God. And then he turns around and he says, with your lips, you look like you're honoring me, but your heart's from, far from me. God, what are you going to do with this kind of thing? He said, I won't accept your worship at all. Why are we saying all this? We're simply studying the Word of God to make this plea to every one of us. Care. Care. When it comes time to worship, it matters. Take the time to say, I want to go in and study the Word of God and I want to see what God has said because not only do I want to be a worshiper, we can either be true worshipers or vain worshipers, just from the two texts we've read tonight. Wouldn't we all prefer to be a true worshiper? Well, if so, what men teaches can't be the way we travel. We must say it must be God's will, the standard of truth. And that's what God will accept. And so therefore, we ought to not accept ourselves personally anything less than that because how horrible would it be for God to look at us and say, your worship was in vain. God is not that beggar. On this next slide there, you see the, the, the beggar there. And I don't know how you picture God. But I can't believe that there's any person here that pictures God that way. 
I hope you picture him on a throne high and lifted up. And if you need help picturing the Lord, study Isaiah the sixth chapter. See a scene of worship where he's on that throne high and lifted up and notice how everything around him is exalting him and looking up at him. And then let's bow in reverence and humility and worship him in spirit and in truth. So how did we get to where we are? Whether it's on the good side, worshiping in truth, or if it's not on such a good side where we follow men. In the last few minutes that we have, I hope that... that um, You'll benefit from this. It, it helped me a lot to work through this. You remember earlier in the year when we talked about the pyramid that, that starts out with our beliefs on this next slide? And notice it begins on that. And, and it's real important that we get this in order. It's probably obvious from the diagram, but if you're just seeing this for the first time, the first level of the pyramid is real important because it's our foundation. And from there, everything is built upon. And so whatever we believe, in other words, whatever our structure of faith is, that's what forms the next level of the pyramid, and that is our convictions or our values. You know, like if, if, if someone uh, says, well, I believe abortion is wrong. What value system, or that is a value system, what belief or what faith created that? And you just name anything that you have a conviction. There is some kind of belief and some kind of faith that created that value system. And, and so as we, we go to the next slide, look and see on top of that belief is, in fact, the, well, wait, I've got a few slides to go down now. Okay, let's back up. Let's back up. Let me mention this to you, and, and we've got to do this really quickly. When we go back to belief and faith, can we, can we back up to that one? I'm sorry, I, I know I messed you up. All right, notice there, it's kind of. But, but notice there, what if our belief in faith is, number one, that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ and scripture from Paul is inspired by the Spirit? And this is real important for what we're studying tonight. And so whether or not you believe that has a lot to do with what you're going to believe about worship. Do you really believe that Paul was apostle? Do you really believe that what Paul wrote was inspired scripture and that it's true? If you believe that, it would be because of writings like this. Galatians, the first chapter. Notice how Paul described himself. But I make known to you, brethren, this first chapter in verse 11. I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. See what Paul is saying? Paul says, if you heard me preach something, it's not man's preaching. I learned this by a revelation given to me directly from Jesus Christ. I'm giving you the message of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Peter, the first chapter. And for time's sake, we're not going to read 19. That's the beginning of the sentence, but you can get the same thing. It's not distorting the text to drop down to verse 20. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of what scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy, what? Never came by the will of man. But the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter writes and he says, listen, if you have a message from us as apostles, you didn't have a message from man, man has never spoken into the scripture. It is by the Holy Spirit, not a man, not a man's will, but of the Holy Spirit that this message came. That's why 2 Timothy 3 and 16 is so important when it says all scripture, how much? How much of your Bible is from God? All scripture is given by what? Inspiration. That means inspired through the Holy Spirit. It's given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness sake. Why is this so important? It's so important because even though 
it is healthy for us to pause and to say things like, hey, if we're going to better understand Corinthians, we need to understand who the author is. Who's the author? Paul. Who's the author of 1st, 2nd Peter? Peter. Who's the author of James? Well, let's pause for a minute. It very well could be that we overemphasize that. Because who's truly the, the source? Who's the source of 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Who's the source of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The same source that gave us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John also gave us 1st and 2nd Corinthians, also gave us 1st and 2nd Timothy, the Holy Spirit. Every one of the 66 books were inspired by the same source, the Holy Spirit. So it becomes very foolish for us then to say we can't read the Gospels equal to Paul's writings. No, we can. They're from the very same source, the source of the Holy Spirit. So with this in mind, we go back to our pyramid and notice, if you believe, if you believe that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ and that his scripture is truly inspired of the Holy Spirit, you're going to form from that a value system because of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy the second chapter. You're going to form a conviction that women are not to teach or usurp authority over a man. It's pretty much a direct quote out of scripture. But if you believe that first level, you have to conclude that second level. And then what's that going to lead to? Notice the third level is the action. It's what we can see of the pyramid. And it is what is visible, of course. And it is men leadership or male leadership when the worship comes together. But let's back up now. Let's go back to the bottom of that pyramid again. And what if instead at the bottom of this pyramid, we say things like this. And over the past week, we've heard, if you've read anything much at all online, you've heard all three of these in the last uh, week or two. Number one is Paul's teachings are inapplicable. In other words, we just can't trust, as, as was said just in the last week or two, Paul was nothing more than a fellow student of ours. I, I hate to say it's blasphemy. I'm not saying I believe that. That's what is said about an apostle, apostle of Jesus Christ, whose writings were through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was said just in the last couple of weeks that he was nothing more than a fellow student of ours. Unbelievable. But if you believe that, if you believe that, the rest of the pyramid changes tremendously. Number two, cultural acceptance. What if that is, let's not go to that one yet. Look at that second line there. Cultural acceptance. Is that what is going to drive your faith? Now, this is not one you probably need to just sit here and think about right now. You need to take this and think about on the way home. When culture goes against everything that God says, are you going to go with culture? Or are you going to go with what God says? And, and so this is, this is a big push in this because right now what God says about the role of women leading in worship is completely different than what culture would say. So if culture is going to drive us, this, this pyramid is going to look very different. And then look at this third one, and that is personal feelings becoming authoritative. If I've prayed about it and I'm at peace with it, it must be God saying yes. Listen, that has never been a standard of God's will. God's will is found in the Holy Scriptures. And if we want to know what's true, we go back to truth, God's holy word, and see what's truth. As a matter of fact, do you remember the man that went out and persecuted Christians? Now let this sink in. He took people just like you and I and he threw us in jail 
because we were Christians. And when it came time to vote whether or not we would live, he would vote that we should die. And then, you know what that same man could say later on? In truth. Now, he wasn't being deceptive. He said this, he said this at least twice in the scriptures. He said, I never once defiled my conscience. Do you see what he was saying? He was saying, when I was throwing Christians in jail, I believed with all of my heart I was doing the right thing. Listen, a person's conscience, even though we shouldn't go around defiling our conscience, a person's conscience is not the standard of truth. Just because you're at peace with something does not mean that it is now a standard of righteousness. We have to go back to the Holy Word of God to see if what we feel is truth. Now let's go to this next one. What if these three are true? If any of these three are true, what we can easily conclude is that women and men's leadership roles are the same or very similar. And that's what we see all over culture today. And, and so, you know, you, you hear men and women regularly say about their households. They will regularly say, oh yeah, there's no difference in us. We share everything exactly the same. Well, if your pyramid says culture drives you, what Paul says, uh, it doesn't matter. Or if it's just your personal feeling, you like creating your home that way, that'll fly. But if you go back to the other pyramid we saw, we know that the gender roles are not the same in, in, in Scripture. All right, so from that, the third one and the top of the pyramid there is what would be the result? The result would be women leading in worship. Now, I'd like for you to notice on the left side of that pyramid, you have the arrows going up because I think it would, it would differ according to people. There are probably some people that have, have considered what culture is doing and therefore they have gone up this pyramid. I really believe there's probably a lot of other people that they started at the top of this pyramid and they worked their way down. In other words, the top of the pyramid is, I want women leading in the church. And that was their personal desire. And so then they looked down and when they came down a level on the pyramid, they said, well, if I want them to do it, I don't need to feel guilty about it. I need to feel good about it. So I've got a value system that, that says, hey, this is the thing to do. But then the problem is you open up the scriptures. Wow. What are we going to do with Paul? If I'm already intending for women to lead, and it's my conviction that they ought to be able to, now I've got to figure out something to do with Paul here. I shared this with you a little over a year ago. I sat in an open session with uh, several homosexual activists that we were invited to have an open dialogue. And they were from all over the U.S. And we sat at round tables and we discussed among our table, but then we opened up the tables and we discussed openly. And it was interesting that the leader of the homosexual activist, uh, once the discussion was open, someone said to them, it's very good dialogue, nobody was angry back and forth the whole time, so it wasn't, I don't want to paint any kind of setting like that, but someone, because it's very open, someone just said, said, you know, you, you've mentioned God several times. You've mentioned scripture several times, so if I could just ask you, what do you do with Romans, the first chapter that speaks so openly against homosexuality? And she said, and she was the leader of their group. She said, oh, that's just Paul being the homophobic Paul that we see so oftentimes in Scripture. And she wasn't trying to be funny. That was her conviction of who Paul was. 
You see, she had already formed at the top of her pyramid what she wanted to accept. And so that became her conviction. So then the natural substance is, if you're going to take it down to Scripture, you have to figure out something to do with Paul. Friends, the arguments right now, I don't know of anything that's different, and there, there probably is something different, but the, the basic principles are exactly the same for accepting homosexuality as accepting women in, in leadership when the church comes together to worship. The arguments just line up together because it's culturally driven, it's personal preference, and you have to do away with Paul's teachings. Those are the three strong points that you have to address and it's not just in those two issues, but it's so many other cultural issues. And so I'd offer to you this, who wrote the Bible really matters. Was Paul written by the inspired Word of God, uh, by the Scriptures, by uh, the Holy Spirit? Was he not? We skip to the very end, next to the last slide. We read this uh, last week. I meant to close with it last week, so I'll close with it right now. <clears throat> Proverbs 31 and 30 is a beautiful passage addressed to women. It says, charm is deceitful. When we go about constantly trying to find favor with people, and as we look at this lesson tonight, what if we constantly try to find favor with culture? It gets real deceitful because what's accepted today is not accepted tomorrow. What's accepted with this group is not accepted with that group. And when we try to go around and please everybody, what we find out real quickly is that we fail. We cannot please everybody. Beauty is passing. Enough said about that. I don't want to get women uh, mad at me, okay? And, and uh, you know, it's just an idea for any of us. Man, woman, it doesn't matter who it is. Age turns what youthful beauty into no longer youthful beauty. And so if a woman's trying to find her identity based solely on her looks, the outward looks, the Holy Spirit is, is inspiring the writer here to remind women that, hey, there's a lot more depth to you than just how you look. So don't find your worth based on what everybody thinks, charm, favor, or based on how you look outwardly. Well, what are we supposed to find it in? A woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that God says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. At the end of the day of a worship, isn't it wonderful if God can say to us, I appreciate the worship that you gave me today in spirit and in truth. I know that among these three lessons, we've not talked about the need for strong male leadership, and we've not talked about the fact that male leadership doesn't mean abusing women, taking advantage of them, demeaning them, and all of those things. Those are serious matters. Tonight, if you haven't been, I could ask you to pray. Let's pray that God's will is always done in this place. There's not anybody here that's got it figured out. 
There's not anybody here that's got all the answers. But brethren, we must care what God's will is. And when it comes to our life and to our worship, let's let it be said that we will always follow God's will. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we'd love to assist you in that. If you have become a Christian and along the way you've lost the way, we simply want to invite you back to God's will and allow His will to be done in your life.